from deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, about a year ago, maybe a little more, I began to uh, find and share with you stories about a um, crisis that I had not, until that time, known was at a crisis point. And it involves sand. Seems so ordinary. It was the, um, you know, when you wanted a socially acceptable way of telling somebody to uh, eat something undelectable, you would say instead, go pound sand. Well, that may not be possible in the future, in the near future. A U.N. report this week called for urgent action to avert a sand crisis. They're calling for a ban on beach extraction. They're taking sand from the beach. What does that leave? Just ocean. Go take that. Demand is surging to 50 billion tons a year amid population growth and urbanization. No, they're not building beaches in the cities. Sand is the most exploited natural resource in the world after water. Its use is largely ungoverned. We're consuming it faster than it can be replaced by geological processes that take hundreds of thousands of years. Oh, I got that on me. Oh, no. That's according to the UN Environment Program report released this week, according to Reuters. Global consumption. What did they use the sand for? Glass, of course, concrete, and construction materials. That usage has tripled over two decades. As I say, it's not 50 billion tons a year, or 17 kilograms per person each day. Go get your meter metric converter out. Arms rivers and coastlines, and even wipes out small islands. Well, what do they expect? Quote, we now find ourselves in the position where the needs and expectations of our societies cannot be met without improved governance of sand resources, said uh, Sheila Agrawal Khan, director of the Economy Division at the UN Environment Program, quote, if we act now, it's still possible to avoid a sand crisis, she says. Well, I'm not acting. I'm just here. The um, Environment Program's Pascal Peduzzi coordinated the report, written by 22 authors. He said that some of the impacts of over-exploitation were already being felt. In the Mekong River, you remember that? We used to fight there. It's the longest river in Southeast Asia, if you're ever on Jeopardy. Sand extraction was causing the delta to sink, leading to salinization, the salting of previously fertile lands. Unless, unless you want your crops really salty which, I, you know, some people do. In a Sri Lankan river, sand removal had reversed the water flow, meaning that uh, ocean water was heading inland and bringing saltwater crocodiles with it. Demand is now seen as shifting to Africa, where villagers often remove sand from beaches to build growing cities. In some cases, this can make coastlines more vulnerable to the impact of climate change, such as more powerful storms according to the report. Among the report's recommendations, a ban on beach extraction. Leave the beach alone. Got to have some place to throw your uh, cans and cigarette packs. 
and the creation of an international standard for marine dredging that can harm ocean biodiversity. The uh, U.N. program also called for reducing demand by reusing sand from recycled materials like concrete and mining, ta- and mining tailings, you know, the stuff that's left over when they mine, instead of using naturally occurring what we might call virgin sand. They don't call it that in the report because it's the U.N., you know. They got, um, they got a lot of constituencies, let's put it that way. So do your part this week, ladies and gentlemen. Don't pound sand. Hello, welcome to the show. Her name is Blossom. She was raised in a lion's den. Her name is Blossom. She was raised in a lion's den. Her nightly occupation is stealing other women's men. She's an evil, evil woman, but she, she wants to do a man some good. She's an evil, evil woman, but she just wants to do a man some good. She's a jean on the bridge, she ain't no red riding hood. She's snappy. Some call her honey. Some think she's funny. And Ray Brown, he told her she was built for speed. Just put it all together. It's everything a good man needs. Oh, just put it all together, baby. It's, it's everything a good man needs.
from New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm Harry Shearer, still hard to believe, and uh, I'm welcoming you to this edition of the show, this week's edition of the show. It comes out every week, hence weekly, without an A. And now, we've got the What the frack? There are anti-fracking activists all over the world. You probably knew it or assumed it. The ones in uh, Colombia are facing increased threats and violence. Two investigative pilot projects to extract oil and gas via fracking move forward. And uh, some of the anti-fracking activists are forced to flee in fear for their lives, according to Reuters. Colombia has a moratorium on commercial fracking, but its highest administrative tribunal has approved the pilot project. It will collect scientific data in order to decide whether to allow the controversial drilling. Supporters say fracking is key to shoring up dwindling production, as it could nearly triple Colombia's crude and gas reserves. Opponents decry risks to water quality and human health. Oh, that old thing. ExxonMobil is a partner in the uh, pilot project, you know, just trying to find the science. The anti-fracking activist told Reuters, threats, intimidation, and attacks from unknown assailants have spiked since February, since a public hearing on the project's environmental license. The uh, campaigners accuse Ecopetrol, that's the Colombian state-owned oil company, of tarring protesters, I don't think that mean that literally, as hooligans, I don't think they mean that uh, uh, literally. The company decried what it said were acts of vandalism. Ecopetrol has publicly rejected violence, it said in a statement. It says it's committed to conducting business in a manner that is compatible with the environmental and economic needs of the communities in which we operate. Mm -hmm. Two of the activists alleged that contractors who would lose out if the projects don't go ahead are behind the threats. Reuters approached five associations representing oil and gas businesses for comment. Three didn't respond. Two said, contract Echo Patrol. Threats against activists, it turns out, are common in Colombia, the deadliest country for environmental and land defenders in 2019 and 2020, according to the campaign group Global Witness. Well, here's some science for you. ExxonMobil. Women living close to natural gas operations, as well as the economic boom towns that often spring up around them, experience higher rates of depression and substance abuse during pregnancy, according to a new study reported by the University of Toronto. The study was published in the International Journal of Hygiene and Environmental Health. It focused on more than 6,300 women who gave birth in northeastern British Columbia an area known now for its natural gas industry, before for its natural beauty. But, you know, it's all natural. Living near natural gas operations has been associated with an array of negative health outcomes. Little is known about the potential impact on maternal mental health, says an assistant professor in the Department of Health and Society of the University of Toronto, one of the study's authors. 
This adds to a growing body of evidence that living near unconventional natural gas operations is linked to adverse health outcomes, the assistant prof says. Lise Caron Baudouin. Study included women who gave birth at Fort St. John Hospital, the largest in northeastern British Columbia over a 10-year period. Mental health data came from the local health network. Information about substance abuse was self-reported. The research team estimated exposure to natural gas operations by using the distribution of wells in four zones around the participants' postal codes. The researcher says there are many potential reasons why living close to these operations can lead to higher rates of depression and substance use. While exposure to chemicals might be a factor, she says natural gas operations are highly highly, sorry, disruptive to community. The area involved in the study was predominantly known before for agriculture. Transformed by the oil and gas boom, it now has a flood of people moving into the community, which has driven up the cost of living. The researcher points to research done on oil and gas boom towns in the U.S. that experienced increases in violent crimes, alcohol and substance use, as well as other community health crises. Most Many of these communities weren't equipped to handle these challenges due to a lack of social services. Because they're, uh, you know, hick towns? No, I didn't say that. This is a big disturbance in the social fabric of those communities, says the researcher. Studies in the U.S. identified higher levels of anxiety and a loss of community cohesion among residents because their communities were upended. Some of the chemicals, as you know from listening to this program, in fracking are toxic and contaminate the surrounding air, water, and soil. Coron Baudouin is one of the few researchers actively looking at the potential health impacts associated with natural gas exploitation in Canada. It's one of the largest global producers of natural gas. She says more work needs to be done on the health effects of Canadian fracking. A study from the University of Calgary, gee, a lot of universities in Canada, found that proximity to fracking operations was associated with greater risk of free of preterm birth in Alberta. This echoes findings on birth outcomes in northeastern British Columbia, published last year by Carl Baudouin. It's concerning, she says, that important policy decisions are being made with such a blatant lack of knowledge and information. The uh, area in northeastern British Columbia is going to have a lot more wells in the near future. It's also going to—it's going to be home to a massive new gas plant. I didn't know you could get gas from plants. No, that's not what they mean. That's—if only—if only there were a gas plant, we wouldn't be having these problems, would we? Earthquakes, as you know, were never much. Anything people in West Texas had to think about, years would pass in between tremors that anybody felt. Even after the shale revolution arrived in force a decade ago and oil crews started drilling in the region's vast Permian Basin, there seemed to be no impact on the land, according to Bloomberg. But then suddenly in 2015 there were six earthquakes that topped 3.0 on the Richter scale, then six again the next year, and the numbers just exploded. 17 became 78 became 181, and in the first three months of this year alone, there were another 59, putting this year on pace 
to set a fresh record of quakes. If you include the threshold to include tiny tremors, the numbers run into the thousands. All of which means that West Texas, the oil drilling capital of America, is now also on the cusp of becoming the earthquake capital. California and Alaska appear bound to be overtaken soon at the current pace. There's little doubt there's a link between the drilling and the jump in seismic activity. Huge quantities of wastewater spill out of wells as the oil gushes out. Injecting that water back into the ground is the cheapest disposal option. And of course, if it's the cheapest, it's going to be the the one we use. That uh, puts stress on the Earth's fault lines, something even acknowledged by industry insiders. I guess they acknowledge it on the inside. None of the quakes so far has been big enough to do much damage, but a similar pattern developed in the oil towns of neighboring Oklahoma a few years ago. What followed there was a gradual pickup in size of the quakes, eventually gave them enough force to start ripping walls off homes and buildings. Oklahoma only broke that cycle after regulators forced drillers to slow the pace of water disposal in the area and haul some of it miles away. That's not as cheap. you got to haul it. For now, in Texas, a famously hands-off type of regulation regime, regulators are just asking, rather than demanding, companies to dump less water on the ground. Now, with uh, Russia's invasion sending oil prices skyrocketing over $100 a barrel, that approach will almost certainly prove inefficient, industry observers say. The Permian contains more easy-to-tap reserves than any other spot in the world. Chevron, Exxon, and some other ons are ramping up output to take advantage of those higher prices. Half of all drilling rigs in operation in the U.S. today can be found in the Permian Basin, and the Biden administration has grudgingly begun to urge companies to drill more wells. More wells will produce, well, more oil and more wastewater, which will produce more earthquakes, which will produce more Richter scale. Uh, We need to be listening to what the Earth is telling us, says a senior campaign representative for the Sierra Club's Beyond Dirty Fuels movement. We need to be slowing production. He says, that's not what appears to be happening. In West Texas oil circles, there had been long a quiet confidence that they'd be spared from the earthquake problem that began rattling Oklahoma. Some level, things just always seem to work out that way between rich Texas and not-so-rich Oklahoma. And the rock is different. rock in Oklahoma is more porous. Texas... The uh, formation is a lot more watertight, and the basement rock itself lies much deeper in the ground. Industry officials figured that offered a strong label or layer of protection. So great was this belief that regulators allowed and continue to allow oil companies in neighboring New Mexico to dispose of water in Texas. Some 1.5 million barrels of what's described as salty slurry. You remember him. He was in the Marines. Um, Flow into Texas daily. And Texas water 
and it comes to more than 15 million barrels a day or more. That's about three times the amount that goes into the ground in Oklahoma. It'd be enough to cover the entire state of Rhode Island in 8.5 inches of water, but you wouldn't want to do that. To some oil executives, the industry's dual goals, expanding output and reining in earthquakes, are now so at odds that there's no easy way to reconcile them. Meanwhile, just as in Oklahoma, the earthquakes are slowly getting bigger in Texas. In the first five years of the jump in seismic activity, none came in at 4.5 or higher. In the last two years, there have been four of them. When they reach 5.0, they can start inflicting major damage on homes and buildings, as if homes aren't buildings. I think they mean other buildings. But that's why I'm not an editor at Bloomberg. I'm just a guy here saying, what the frack? And now, ladies and gentlemen. It's a smart world after all. It's a smart world after all. It's a smart world after all. It's a smart, smart world. Are you into the whole right to repair thing? Uh, there's an increasing number of situations of use use cases, as we say, in which uh, you can buy something, a piece of equipment, a computer dongle, or a tractor, and uh, you're not allowed by the manufacturer to repair it if it uh, springs a leak. And there is, of course, a movement to struggle against that, the right to repair movement. Now, the, uh, the the folks at Apple have been uh, acted against by this movement. For a long time, you weren't allowed to uh, mess with your Apple equipment yourself. Had to bring it into Apple. Now they've got a self-service repair program. It uh, this week launched its self-service repair store a website where those interested in fixing broken iPhones can acquire Apple-approved parts, tools, and documentation. It looked like a change of heart, given its previous avid lobbying to derail right-to-repair legislation. There are, uh, there are such legislative proposals in at least 27 states. And it uh, right-to-repair seems to be popular, according to Surveys, you know how reliable those are. Federal Trade Commission has said it will take action against companies that thwart product repairs. Yet, Apple's apparent nod to political inevitability has already been dismissed by two repair advocacy groups as just a marketing ploy, according to the Register, British Tech Journal. Quote, I'll give their marketing team an A+. Plus for retaining their repair monopoly while offering the pretense of cooperation without actually delivering on right to repair, says the executive director of the Repair Association. Well, at least they're accurately named. He suggests Apple's efforts are intended to stall legislation. Oh, it's a she. Sorry. And she expects company intransigence could provide 
an incentive for lawmakers to pass statutes that require full access to repair materials on reasonable terms. She, she argues Apple has been using parts pairing technology in which parts are required to have certain serial numbers to be able to function. Other repair-oriented organ, uh, organizations cite the same issue. Apple is doubling down on their parts pairing strategy, enabling only very limited serial number authorized repairs, says Elizabeth Chamberlain for, at uh, iFixit. You cannot purchase key parts without a serial number or a uh, IMEI, whatever the heck that is. If you use an aftermarket part, that's a third-party part, there's an unable-to-verify warning waiting for you. The strategy hamstrings third-party repair with feature loss and scare tactics and could dramatically limit options for recyclers and refurbishers. The um, attorney for uh, iFixit says she's less concerned about high prices for new parts than assuring the salvaged parts can be used for repairs. People tend to lose the option of repair as equipment ages when new parts are not available, so it's essential that used parts remain viable, she says. Asked for a comment? Apple did not respond. They're trying to re repair their press release department. Now, ladies and gentlemen, news of our friend the Atom, the United Nations Atomic Energy Agency says it's investigating a report from Ukraine that a missile flew directly over one of its nuclear power plants. Ukraine said the missile was spotted April 16th on a surveillance camera at a nuclear power plant in the Zaporizhia region. The IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, said in a statement, uh, it didn't attribute responsibility for the missile launch. If it's confirmed that a missile flew close to the power plant, it would be an extremely serious issue, said the director general of the IAEA. Quotes, had such a missile gone astray, it could have had a severe impact on the physical integrity of the plant, potentially leading to a nuclear accident, unquote. As of um, end of this week, the plant was operating normally. Remote, in, uh, remote monitoring indicated no deviation from normal working conditions at the plant. We dodged a nuclear bullet. News of our friend the Atom. I want a girl, but you don't have to look. Like a picture in a, a place book I don't care If she can't fight And I don't care If she ain't got big legs I want a little girl With a master's degree
From New Orleans, this is Lou Show. There are more items of news about our friend the Adam at this point in time, ladies and gentlemen. For example, from the uh, San Diego Union, we have this item of interest for you now here in uh, the listening audience. U.S. Department of Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm said the federal government will send dollars to cities and towns willing to step forward and accept nuclear waste that's been piling up over the years. I think I mentioned this last week. Did I? You would know. We know those communities will have to be compensated for their willingness as a service to the nation to be able to house one of these sites, she told reporters. When asked how much money, that's to be decided. Yes, I do think I shared that with you last week. But now, new news, the U.S. government's nuclear waste repository in New Mexico has major issues in its fire training and firefighting vehicles. Its fleet is in disrepair after years of neglect, according to an investigation by the Energy Department's Inspector General. The investigation was spurred by allegations involving the fire protection concerns at the repository. That's the backbone of a huge effort to clean up Cold War-era nuclear waste from past research and bomb-making from laboratories 
and sites across the U.S. Investigators noted the issues with the fire department training program went back to at least 2016. They pointed to an undeveloped training curriculum for the technical rescue program and claims by firefighters that their training needs weren't being met. According to the Inspector General report, the issues persisted because the contractor that manages the repository inadequately addressed and closed recommendations from prior internal assessments that were aimed at fixing the deficiencies. And the report also blamed inadequate oversight by officials from the Energy Department. Which should be on the job to um, do oversight. In uh, response, Energy Department officials say the agency has followed through with corrective actions and will continue to make progress. Still, agency officials acknowledge there was more work to do, which is why progress should continue to be made, I guess. The safety concerns come as the New Mexico governor and others voice opposition to expanding the types of radioactive waste that can be shipped to the repository. Just this this month, the work of processing incoming waste shipments was temporarily halted after workers discovered radioactive liquid in a container sent from the Idaho National Laboratory. The report from a federal oversight board also also cited three recent incidents, including one in which a container from the Los Alamos National Laboratory was placed underground without adequate analysis for its flammability. The container ended up posing no risk. Another bullet dodged. Nuclear Waste Partnership, the contractor that manages the repository, has expanded its fire brigade to a department with full-time emergency responders following two emergencies a few years ago. One was a fire involving something on the next page. (laughs) I've got it. A salt-hauling truck that was followed days later by a radiation release from a drum that had been inappropriately packed at Los Alamos. I blame the drummer. The incidents prompted major policy and procedure overhauls related to the cleanup program. According to the Inspector General, a 2019 review found that nearly half of the repository's firefighters had not participated in required live training for at least one year, and some had not participated in over two years. Several firefighters told investigators the majority of training was web-based as opposed to hands-on fire drills. Firefighters expressed concern that without adequate training, they could lose their skills. Who couldn't? And over in the United Kingdom, a decision on a contentious nuclear waste dump is facing yet another delay. The British Environment Agency has confirmed it's given the uh, company that runs the waste facility, Augean, you remember the stables, more time to provide information for its bid for a low-level waste store in uh, Port Clarence. The member of parliament for that area fears this will now mean a final decision will be pushed back to late 2023, meaning residents will have faced four years of waiting for a verdict. We got this waste thing handled, baby. We got it. We got this. 
news of our friend the Adam. Well, you um, probably know about a um, member of Congress here in the United States by the name of Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's uh, been in the news almost as much as Elon Musk. And it's almost as irritating. And this week, she was um, giving testimony at a congressional hearing. Yes, a congresswoman testifying at a congressional hearing. You don't see that all the time. She was testifying as to what, if anything, she was doing in relation to the events of January 6th, leading up to that date, on that date, and after that date. Now, um, you know, when I was a kid, I remember I was a news junkie, hard to believe, and I would watch hearings from time to time when they were on TV during the day, preempting soap operas. And when people didn't want to uh, answer the questions in those days, they would say, I refuse to answer on the grounds that it might incriminate me. They were taking, as it was called then, the fifth, taking the Fifth Amendment, using the protection afforded by the Fifth Amendment against self-incrimination. Well, that got a bad odor. If you were taking the Fifth, people started assuming that meant you were guilty. And so the, um, the legal community took a different tack. And um, they began telling their clients, don't take the Fifth Amendment because people will assume you're guilty. Just say, in answer to every question after your name, that you don't remember. And so, you know, the clients get blamed understandably, when they go testify, as Marjorie Taylor Greene did this week, and follow her lawyer's advice. I'm presuming it's her lawyer's advice. I'm, I'm presuming she doesn't have an advanced case of Alzheimer's. You never know. But I think somebody kept count. It's, it's in the dozens, not the dozens that the kids do or used to, but the dozens of times during that hearing when in answer to a question about where she was, whom she was talking to, whether she knew in advance that there was going to be violence, all those questions, her answer was the same. I don't recall. If I ever said something I don't recall If I appeared somewhere I don't recall If there was the tiniest ember Of being a member Of something I might remember
Ladies and gentlemen, news of the warm, won't you? Come on. You got nothing else to do. I mean, it's, you know, it's the weekend. I know you're busy. As greenhouse gas emissions continue to warm the world's oceans, marine biodiversity could be on track to plummet within the next few centuries. So, you know, grab a comfy chair. Uh, To levels not seen since the extinction of the dinosaurs. That's according to a recent study in the journal Science by researchers at Princeton. Paper's authors modeled future marine biodiversity under different projected climate scenarios. They found that if emissions are not curbed, species losses from warming and oxygen depletion alone could come to mirror the substantial impact humans already have on marine biodiversity by around 2100. Tropical waters will experience the greatest loss of biodiversity. Polar species are at the highest risk of extinction, according to the authors. Quote, aggressive and rapid reductions in greenhouse gas emissions are critical for avoiding a major mass extinction of ocean species. That's the lead author says that. So they found reversing Greenhouse gas emissions could reduce the risk of extinction by more than 70%. Like that's going to happen. Quote, the silver lining is the future isn't written in stone, said another of the authors. The extinction magnitude that we found depends strongly on how much CO2 we emit moving forward. There's still enough time to change the trajectory of CO2 emissions and prevent the magnitude of warming that would cause this mass extinction. 
That's a phrase we're going to be hearing more of, I'm suspecting. Figures showing the average sea surface salinity of the world's seas and oceans are uh, going to be changing. Researchers in Barcelona at the Institute of Ocean Sciences have found that global warming is accelerating the water cycle, which could have significant consequences on the global climate system. That's according to an article published in the journal Scientific Reports. This acceleration of the water cycle is caused by an increase in the evaporation of water from the seas and oceans resulting from the rise in temperature. As a result, more water is circulating in the atmosphere in vapor form, 90% of which eventually goes back into the sea as rainfall. The remaining percent, 10%, will uh, precipitate over the continent, rain or snow. The acceleration of the water cycle has implications both at the ocean and on the continent, where uh, storms could become increasingly intense. This higher level of water circulating in the atmosphere could also explain the increase in rainfall being detected in some polar areas, where the fact that it is raining instead of snowing is speeding up the melting, says the lead author, who apparently is addicted to gerunds. The work also shows that the decrease in wind in some areas of the ocean, which favors stratification of the water column, water not mixing in the vertical direction, could also be contributing to the acceleration of the water cycle. Quote, where the wind is no longer so strong, the surface water warms up, but does not exchange heat with the water below. The surface becomes more saline than the lower layers, enabling the effect of evaporation to be observed. The uh, researcher says this tells us that the atmosphere and the ocean interact in a stronger way than we imagined, with important consequences for both the continental and polar areas. Hmm. And an analysis of the fire footprint of the 2019-2020 black summer bushfires in Australia has found logging, Tom, logging, logging, elevated the risk of high-severity fires. A team of Australian researchers completed the study of the black summer brush fires, sorry, they call them bushfires, burned through more than 24 million hectares. No, I don't. And destroyed thousands of homes. While weather conditions had the biggest influence on the severity of the fires, said the researchers, these effects were amplified by logging. According to Professor David Lindenmeyer, logged forests always burn at greater severity than intact forests. Did you know that? Quote, logging increases the probability of canopy damage by 5 to 20 percent and leads to long-term elevated risk of high severity fire. All right, then. You learn something every year and a half. And now, the Apologies of the Week. The pilot in charge of a failed stunt attempt has apologized after the uh, one of the planes involved crashed in Eloy, Arizona. Eloy, spelled backwards, is YOL. The Red Bull-sponsored plane swap stunt was unsuccessful. See, it gives you more wings. Gives you wings. That's the connection with Red after one of the pilotless, pilotless planes crashed over Eloy. That sparked an investigation by the Federal Administration of Aviation. Since the crash, lead pilot Luke Akins has apologized for going through with the stunt. 
he disregarded an FAA denial issued just two days before. The pilot, Luke Akins, says he regrets not telling his team about the FAA denial. While he managed to land his plane safely, the other pilot was forced to parachute to the ground when his plane spun out of control. Well, that's really the connection with Red Bull. Out of control. Dateline Charlotte, North Carolina Republican Congressman Madison Cawthorn. You've heard of him. He's almost as famous as Marjorie Taylor Greene. He's apologizing for taking a gun in his carry-on bag to Charlotte International Airport. He was cited for the violation. Quote, in a video, no, sorry, in a video posted to his Instagram page, he said, quote, just went through TSA, no major alarms, nothing bad happened. To all the law enforcement out there, especially you guys at Charlotte, I love you all, unquote. He said even frequent flyers are used to just grabbing their bags and going, always take the extra 30 to 60 seconds it takes to check your bags and make sure everything is how it should be, unquote. Poli uh, transportation Security Administration agents located the firearm in a bag at a checkpoint. Cawthorn, the 26-year-old representative, was identified as the owner of the bag with the firearm, stated it was his, and he cooperated with local police. It's not the first time the first-term congressman has taken a firearm to an airport. February a year ago, he tried to take a gun through security in Asheville. He was also recently charged with driving while license revoked and is facing multiple speeding citations. An all-around good guy. Elon Musk owns SpaceX, as well as a company that supposedly bores tunnels. We're waiting to see one of those, and Tesla, and maybe now Twitter. So he's a busy guy. Too busy for customer support. He's apologized to some SpaceX customers for its lack of customer support with Starlink. That's the internet service SpaceX supposedly provides. The Starlink team sent in a message posted on Reddit by a customer called Robert Smith. Quote, it has fallen behind in our normal response time. This is not the level of support we aim to provide. Unquote. That's funny. It's the level of support Tesla provides. The company SpaceX says it's making improvements to its service, including hiring more people for its support team. According to the message that Robert Smith screenshotted, Starlink added there may be an unusual delay before they reply to customers. Someone from the team will respond, quote, eventually, unquote. Smith says the company's message was in reply to a message he sent uh, April 17th about slow internet speeds. Since he ordered Starlink a year ago, Smith says he's found the internet service great, but he hasn't been impressed with the customer support. Yeah. My experience exactly, sir. Uh, the Reddit user commented on his, his post saying they also submitted a request to Starlink on the same date. Got the same reply. Are still waiting for the company to get back to them. Starlink's lack of customer support, according to Business Insider, is a common complaint. 
Oh, Elon. Deadline San Diego, the city of San Diego's director of transportation apologized to Rancho Penasquito's residents during a Zoom meeting this week. Folks of the meeting was recently installed bike lanes on a Zuaga Street. Some residents are upset because they said he didn't communi- communicate with them about the bike lanes. They just suddenly appeared. Quote, our apologies as far as the art, as far as the outreach we're strategizing now. There's a lot of zeal behind the bike program, said Director of Transportation Jorge Rivero. Quote, we're trying to work quickly to deliver a more multimodal city for San Diego. And in that zeal, sometimes we get ahead of ourselves. So just a little bit of an apology as far as outreach. That would be a min-apology, wouldn't it? The president of uh, the local homeowners situation said he's been watching the street, noticed there aren't many bikers even using the new lanes. If this was done for safety for bike riders, riders, it's an absolute feel, he said. Rivero said it may just take some time for riders to get used to them. Samsung's new ad showing a woman happily running with headphones alone in the middle of the night was meant to be a celebration of people's freedom to exercise whenever they want. The electronics brand is now under fire for missing the point that no such freedom actually exists, particularly for women. Ad Age reports that the ad, called Night Owls, shows a woman checking her Samsung Galaxy watch and heading outside at 2 a.m. where she puts in her earbuds and runs solo around the streets, which appear deserted. Lucky her. She encounters a few people, including a cyclist on a bridge. Sleep at night, run faster, push harder, follow the herd. Not for me, a woman's voiceover says. I run on a diff schedule. Mine! The ad promotes Samsung's wellness offerings, including its watch, phone, and earbuds. Many immediately criticize the ad. It was labeled tone-deaf and naive, Samsung apologetic, but it appears to have no plans to change or remove the commercial. A representative from its ad agency did not return a request for comment. The brand statement said, It was never our intention to be insensitive. As a global company with a diverse workforce, we apologize for how this may have been received. And... The Apology of the Week. Neil Parrish has told the BBC he is resigning as a member of Parliament after admitting he watched pornography twice in the House of Commons. He'd said it had been a moment of madness. The first time was accidental. He was looking for a tractor website. Okay, he used to be a farmer. (laughs) But still. But the second time in the House of Commons, he went back and looked at the porn website Deliberately, two female colleagues claimed they'd seen him looking at adult content on his phone while sitting near them. My crime was in another occasion I went in a second time. It had been a deliberate. He was sitting waiting for a vote. What I did was absolutely totally wrong. I will have to live with this for the rest of my life. I made a huge, terrible mistake, and I'm here to tell the world. He appeared emotional. After seeing the Fuhrer it was causing his family and constituency. Quote, I was wrong, I was stupid, I lost sense of mind. But I make a full apology, a total full apology. It was not my intention to intimidate. Porn and tractors, ladies and gentlemen, they're so easily confused. 
but maybe porn allows you to repair it. The Apologies of the Week, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. Back next week at the same time over these same radio stations and on your audio device of choice whenever you want it. And it will be just like looking at pictures of tractors on the Internet. If you'd join me then, would you? All righty, thank you very much. Uh-huh. A tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego desk. And to Thomas Walsh here at WWNO New Orleans. And also to the Hawaii desk. Aloha. The email address for this program, the uh, playlist of music heard here on your chance to get Cars I Talk t shirts, all at harryshare.com. So much more there, I can't even remember. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from New Orleans.